need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he just gets my emotional corporate architecture. It's Andy Greenwald! Just no, don't come too close. No kisses today. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, we are going to talk a little bit about last night's completely debaucherous, drug-addled Shakespearean episode of Succession, which is by far my large adult son of television right now. I, I love, you just I love, love to see it, it get out there. so purely and uncomplicatedly. Yeah. You can't tell me shit about this show. You could not knock me off my square about this show. But bigger news, most of this episode will be dedicated to Netflix's Glow. And Another Andy, sh- a show I love also yeah. without reservation. And Andy had a great conversation with the showrunners. Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch came in uh, as they were kind enough to do last year as well. I love talking to them about how they build the show, all the thought that goes into every character, every decision, and uh, how being totally afraid of where you end up story-wise is a good thing. So this was a great long talk, deep dive into season two, which I hope everyone has watched um, and then get into it with this interview. But first... Did they have any succession takes? You know, it didn't come up. It didn't come up. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, coming up now. <laughs> hard to imagine these shows existing in the same universe, but we are lucky enough to live in. Yeah, what a, what a great time to be alive. It's truly, truly, <laughs> um, truly This show, a wonderful thing. I think I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, I've watched three episodes and I'm still kind of like trying to get, get my bearings with succession. Uh, I think you could make an argument for the last three episodes. Yeah. So uh, five, six, and seven, I guess. No, six, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight. Uh, Prague, Austerlitz, and what side are you on or what side are we on or whatever it is. Um, it's just this remarkable leap into best show on TV contention. It, it, it's been fascinating. And I, I, I tweeted something out last week um, about this, basically mm-hmm. saying that, I and I think, I don't know if people understood the tone of what That's I wrote. Sh- which sh- was, that tweet went mildly viral. Yeah, well, it was just like a low-grade fever. Yeah. But it was basically my relationship with Succession, episodes one to three, eh. Episodes four. Pretty good. Eh. Hey, or something. I, I actually uh, quite enjoyed four. Yeah. I enjoyed four, yeah, yeah. but it was like okay, and then hey, and then wow, and then for episode seven last week's gets cousin Greg tattoo. Yes, um, the show has a way of getting in your bloodstream and sneaking up on you, not unlike four giant sized rails of Chang as ingested <laughs> on the show last night. But I, but I also want to talk about it in a larger <laughs> sense, which is I, I can't believe that I stuck with the show. Um, through three eh episodes, which maybe weren't eh in Was it the gleam in my eye? Do you think that had well, something to do with it? a little bit. I mean, but there was something, you know, it, it, this show has nothing in common with The Leftovers, although a, a sex boat probably is inevitable on, at some point. Um, there's something was keeping me keeping me into it. Something yeah. something was compelling. Um, also, your complete love of it and the, my desire to watch it with you mattered. But it, it was, it's been interesting that there are many people who uh, are simply angry at being asked to indulge episodes of a show finding its legs. Now, I- I'm like that. We've sure. often talked about how we're, we have pilot fatigue, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, one of the things you'll hear in the Glow conversation later, actually, and one of the things that makes that show exceptional is that Carly and Liz ignored all the advice they were given about using everything you've got in season one and built something gradually that feels like you've earned it when you get to the really, really good stuff. I actually think this might not be the case with Succession. I feel like this is an incredible example of calibration. Yeah, so I want to talk about uh, this show by talking about LeBron James. Oh, that makes so sense. So a couple of years back, back when we used to do Grantland, like uh, I writer, the really good friend of ours, obviously, Kirk Goldsberry, uh, who now works for the San Antonio Spurs, he wrote a piece called LeBron James Controls the Chessboard. And it was basically about how what makes LeBron special is his ability not just to obviously to be a powerhouse offensive player and do all these different things on the court, but his ability to think three or four plays ahead and to think the pass that sets up the pass. And that is what I think without saying it's like not as it's not a show it's achieved what like LeBron has in television as compared to what LeBron did in basketball but when you really go back and see the steps they take to get these characters where you want them to get them mm-hmm. and it, uh, i think the first 3 episodes are the most annoying versions of these people and that's why I think some people have a problem with it. It's like Greg is actually just kind of a little bit tiresome in the first couple of episodes. Uh, Tom is kind of just cloying. He's like he's like f- a little bit funny, but they're still trying to find that. Is this Veep? Is it Dallas, but he, set in New York? Is he, it some satirical version of Billions? Like, what is it? And even Roman ejaculating onto the New York City skyline 
Although that was the moment where I was just like, this show is is like going to embrace the weird part of itself. Well, I thought that was the moment we realized it was going to embrace the ejaculate, (laughs) which is really a recurring. Who knew? Came back. Yeah. Chekhov's ejaculate really came back. Um, But the thing is, is that I felt like all the things that they set up with Kendall in the first three episodes are really paying off in these last three episodes. Roman's transition from uh, being this kind of enfant terrible in the first three episodes to now trying to be this, like, I want a win here for myself. The way that they have calibrated Tom and Greg into this kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, but, like, also just, like, I, I can't even, I can't even explain how fucking funny they are. Like, when he's just, like, the thing, the thing that captures it is when Greg does four lines of coke to stop Kendall from doing coke. Yeah. And Tom's reaction is... You're going to die. <laughs> but laughs because he's like, if you die, there will be so much cocaine in your bloodstream that your heart will probably start pumping again. It's really funny. And it's really, I, I mean, I have to say that I've gotten some pushback from people who aren't feeling the show who feel like because they don't care about these people, which I, I no longer feel is the case. I, I certainly care about Siobhan. Um and weirdly, and this is a tribute, I think, primarily to Jeremy Strong's performance, I care about Kendall. Deeply care about Kendall. Um, but the point seems to be that the show is best when it's when it's funny and when it's serious, they're not interested in yeah. it. But my feeling is there's never a moment when it's not both. Yes. And that is a sign of an impressive um, tightrope act that they're pulling off. Um, but also, look, all the best TV shows are procedurals aside, but a dominant theme among many of the best TV shows is that they're family shows, whether it's... Um, Sopranos or whether it's um, Parks and Recreation. And this show has chosen a um, venue for its stories that is high leverage, high stakes family drama. Mm -hmm. And there are no punches pulled and it is savage, but it is still family. And I think the show understands that and is doing interesting things with it. And particularly, it's empowered these actors who are exceptional to do even greater things Mm -hmm. with it. So that when we have... A scene like the Logan Siobhan scene. Yes. Um, it's in the restaurant. In the restaurant. Yeah. It's kind of a masterpiece in, a, in miniature because it counts on so many things that we understand. One is, of course, she's going to show up because it's her dad. Of course, she's going to listen to him because it's her dad. And there's this moment like there is with every scene with Brian Cox on the show. Well, this is what I'm where saying. We yeah. think it's going to be go one way. And we see the track being laid for it to go one way because everyone is so needy. Everyone is so fucking needy. And then it goes the other but way. But that's the thing is like, it's like, that's what I'm saying about the, I mean, the, the LeBron and the LeBron comparison is off mm-hmm. maybe, but they have set up the pass before the pass so that the Siobhan and Logan scene mm-hmm. works at its absolute maximum efficiency mm-hmm. to have that come after the ATN interview mm-hmm. with Gil makes it so that you're like, this is who this guy is. This guy sandbags someone on national television so that and, and asks him about his dead wife, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that kind of level of precision. And I also want to say we're talking about efficiency. There are no bad lines on this show, at least not for the last th- few episodes. Mm-hmm. You could literally pause it. I was rewatching it and I had CC on and you would just like I was just like almost going frame by frame. And every line from just like Stewie being like, go get a slider, <laughs> like relax, go get a slider. And all of uh, Kendall's VC tech bro startup bullshit about being engaged is just so high level. This show knows exactly what its voice is. It knows exactly what it's doing. It knows exactly where it's going. I laugh. I'm completely engrossed with the family soap operatics. I actually do find it to be quite moving in certain ways. And there's just nothing else like it on TV. I haven't loved something like this in a really long time. I want to just go over a couple lingering questions before we... Sure, I don't know if uh, we're allowed to talk about what you're about to talk about. I'm not even... I'm avoiding that. (laughs) You want to talk about closing the loop? I want the closed circuit. (laughs) I want to talk about, um, well, one, how much extra footage is there in the the editing room of Greg (laughs) just like third reel of Boogie Nightsing his way through that party? The party finds you, man. Because... He did, I mean, let's be charitable, he did an enormous amount of cocaine. For a good cause. <laughs> For a good cause. Yeah. Um, could have been ketamine, you know, who knows? <laughs> I mean, if things had taken a different turn. Um, I feel like they were actually, the show was actually quite um, 
modest uh-huh. in, its, what, in its showing what could happen if he Frank did white out. drugs. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've never been to a part. I've never been to a uh, a space for emergent behaviors, so uh-huh. I don't really know what happens sure. at a rom boy party. I'm shout out to New York City. Uh, I've never been to a day into night into morning sunset park loft party. I went to a couple of interesting parties in my life, but like you never walked down a subway. (laughs) No, I didn't. Um, Not knowingly. Um, And another question about that subway tunnel. Do you think um, there was a moment when the production staff from HBO were psyched that they were finally going to, someone was going to pull the orgy ripcord again, only to be told in script. (laughs) I feel like that that was almost like winking about. Because there was a moment when every HBO show in order to like meet its nudity requirements. True blood, true detective. They'd be like, let's go. It's an orgy scene. Um, but it was not 1997, thankfully. Uh, third point. Yeah, I guess you've read the script for the Deadwood movie then. Oh, is that just pure? <laughs> yeah. It's 1887. Um, what happened to the Flyboys? What happened? Those to, guys are just Tom's getting coffee. Homies. They can buy their own coffee. I mean, I kind of want a webisode. <laughs> the Flyboys. <laughs> about their day in yeah. New York. I mean, that was, as someone who's had a bachelor party, I appreciated the detail <laughs> yeah. of who gets to be in the boiler room and who doesn't. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not naming names. Uh-huh. I'm not saying you were, you, you may or may not have been there, but I, I appreciated that, that, that small detail as well. Um, look, it, it, it's just, I just also, can we just shout out? I've been, I've been on central European time for 48 look, That's where I wanted to end. I wanted to end on Connor because look, this is, this is an ensemble writing on a high level because <laughs> Connor and Alan Ruck have the thing that they do already yeah. and we know it and we love it. And the show is writing for it. And it's great. He fucking flew in from his <laughs> apocalypse bunker named after a Seabald novel slash train He's station. He's wearing TSA slippers. He's wearing TSA <laughs> slippers the whole time, hugging people inappropriately and calling his prostitute living girlfriend <laughs> and thanking her for making him a pot pie. Yeah. That's his arc in this episode. Great and stuff. It alone is triumphant. Um, Let's get it. We, we should. I, I want, we could keep talking about this. We're uh, happy. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite show on television. Uh, Andy's going to talk about his favorite t- show on television, Glow, now with Liz Flayhav and Carly Mensch from Glow. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday to talk about Castle Rock and Mission Impossible. Until then, talk to you guys soon. TV is fun again, Baranskis. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I was perusing tickets uh, for the ICC, the big international soccer exhibition that happens across America in the summer and like Bayern, you know, I think Borussia Dortmund's here and Liverpool's here and Tottenham's here and all these teams. They're playing at the Rose Bowl soon. I was just looking. It's so easy. You can instantly find seats. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. Plus, Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, watch listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. That's promo code WATCH for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the Black Tux. Wedding season is upon us. And when you're bringing a date, you want to look fresh. That's where the blacktux.com comes in. It lets you rent awesome suits and tuxedos in all styles online. With the Black Tux, you can take your style to the next level in funky, cool options like the Emerald Shawl Tuxedo and blow it out for your big one-time event. And with Free Home Try-On, you can feel the quality and see the fit months before your event. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a replacement right away. You wear it, you turn heads, then you send it back three days later. It's easy. The shipping is free both ways. Black Tux has been draping up me and Andy for like two years now for whenever we do these award show after parties we wear black tux tuxes 
I personally am, am starting to age out of the wedding season thing. Most of my friends are married. We're not going to speculate on who may have a second marriage coming. Who knows? But, you know, that doesn't mean I can't look dapper when I have to do something. I often will just pull up black tux. I cop a wonderful tuxedo or suit for my special event, and I go from there. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. I am so excited and thrilled to be joined for the second year in a row here in the studio with the can I say, do people say glow runners? It's just right oh, there. Oh, nobody has yet. Nobody has yeah, ever I think said you just that. inaugurated it. No. I mean, it's, I've been saying this nonstop. It's stupid that no one has said it yet. <laughs> it's but also, I feel like it's very, we're, I mean, it's a little stupid fodder. also. It is. Stupid is our. The glow our runners <laughs> of the Emmy nominated Netflix program Glow, the second season of which is both brilliant and available now. Carly mentioned Liz Flayhive. Welcome. Thanks. Glow Thanks, runners. Andy. Glow runners. We're happy to be back. Congratulations. I said Emmy yeah. nominated. That was the first time also I feel like that's been said into a microphone, which is Here's awesome. what I feel about this. Let me tell you what I please, feel, and then please yeah. you tell me how you <laughs> yeah. feel about it. I was so thrilled because I love your show. I think the first season was outstanding. This was the first season that was nominated, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Netflix is so opaque in terms of what it values and what happens and what matters and how it makes its decisions. It's This is not opaque. This is a fact that your show is Emmy-nominated, which I know is a big deal, and I feel like that must have been both re- rewarding on a number of levels because of it. It, it was. It was one of those, you know, I think either to protect ourselves or because in the spirit of the show, we feel very underdoggy yeah. in a way that keeps us, I think, both yeah. honest and protected. And, you know, we're very happy that people respond to the show. But, you know, we don't know numbers. We don't know a lot. Right. Yeah. Cause, um, cause they don't tell you guys either, either, right? They don't That's tell very us opaque to yeah. us. And even how this would fit into any type of decision is opaque to us. Right. Yeah. But I think the... You know, for us, the fact that the show was nominated and Betty was recognized and then to see that sort of windfall of our crew and our director, Jesse Peretz, for the pilot and just so many people who work like crazy. Like it, you know, I think I think it just we know how much goes into making it. And then to just see that happen was really, really exciting. Did you get the phone call? Is it like the, it's not early morning, really. I got a Liz phone call. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I had, I was like, we got to see what happens. And I, (laughs) we were just trying to figure out where to find it. You know, you had to like figure out where it was streaming. And then my son would be dropped off at camp. And it was just like one of those normal, stupid mornings. Um, And then it all happened. And I called, I FaceTimed you. Um, and I was out walking because my son and I stroll every morning, Lovely, and I yeah. had terrible reception, so didn't I didn't even really know when the announcements would be coming. Yeah. So I got it from Liz, which yeah. was I think a better. Yeah. So we Facetimed, and then our children immediately just wanted to see each other. So it was my daughter oh, just nice. making faces at your son while we just talked to each other yeah. in the background. Did you the, did you was, then get a call from Netflix where they couldn't? Yeah. Were they like, mm, that's good? No, I think people good. emailed us, but we were just yeah. Um, there were some emails. Yes. I think what was yeah. very nice was that the night before, Netflix sent us an email saying, whatever happens tomorrow, we really believe we in the show. show. We love yeah. what you guys have done. We love we what you've done. It. We yeah. won't do Which more, but we just want you to know that we've loved working with you unless things break I would the not right have been way. surprised. It's, it was like a, like a pre-breakup <laughs> yeah. email, kind it's just, of. Just so you know. Just so you know, we still <laughs> Just so you know, it. we're always yeah. prepared for that yeah. moment. This is probably right. Now, as writers, you're like, just prepare for the Is this the call? Oh, it's notes. Great. Yeah. Or midway through the season, you're still, okay, it's just a nice call about the next episode. Great. Well, so the first season, justly recognized, one of the best shows of last year. Second season, we were just talking about on the walk over here, I think is truly tremendous, like a, a huge step up from something that was already pretty high up. So um, I want to talk specifically about how you got into the second season. Mm-hmm. You have many members of your cast. You have many potential storylines. You yep. have the interpersonal relationships inside the ring, outside the ring. You have the wrestling. Um, one of the most exciting things for me to think about and also one of the crucial things for all storytelling as you guys know is where are you going to build your fence where do you where are you going to start your engines where's yeah. your what's the point you're going to pick i imagine you had many options and i imagine this was a source of a lot of conversation between the two of you so could you walk me through a little bit how you ended up choosing the stories that you chose for the season and how you wanted to tell them yeah i mean i think the thing that was really useful about season one, just to go backwards before you go forwards, is that, you know, we deliberately chose to go slower. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we knew very, like, really early on that we wanted to go from the audition to the making of that pilot episode. And then when we were talking about season two, 
it felt like picking up right out of the gate with they, you know, we knew there was an order for so many episodes. The band was getting back together to make this first season. So the story of the second season was going to be the story of making the first season mm-hmm. of Glow. Um, so that felt pretty clear to us, I think, walking into the room. We also had saved a lot of stories from season one. I think Liz yeah. and I had a wish list, and we knew that based on the structure of season one that we couldn't find a home. Mm-hmm. But we had, you know, whether it be episode four, which is a kind of a tale of two of the moms on the team, mm-hmm. which is just one of the, I think, like 20 stories that we had yeah. just walked into that room being like, I hope we find a place this season. Yeah. And we had, and I think season yeah. one, we also had talked about, like, early on, we were trying to figure out the shape. I think at one point it was like, would it be really baller to end season one with like just a show within a show? Like we never break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we got there, we're like, there's too much. We don't. We don't have that yet. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't earned that yet. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, it yeah. would feel like a disconnect to land yeah. a season there. Mm-hmm. But I think we always yeah. were like, we have to do an episode that immerses you like fully in, the show. in show mode. Yeah. And like when you get there, you have to care as much, I think, yeah. about the people as when you were watching just yeah. an episode where you were with yeah, our and, characters. And you with know? a cast this large with yeah. such limited real estate, sure. yeah. having more runway to get there was worth it. Well, yeah. also, yeah. We, I yeah. mean, we realized that the show that we ended season one with was a kind of straight up wrestling show. There's a lot of storytelling going on in the ring, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot of interstitial kind of like vaudeville elements, such as the ones that kind of emerge in the yeah. episode eight version of the show. So we spent also a lot of the season building what the show was and kind of mm-hmm. both drawing from the talents of the girls in the team and just kind of naturally watching what happens when you have to fill 20 episodes of television. And yeah. it's very hard on your body to solely make a wrestling show. Yeah. And I think the the thing we talked about, too, in a lot of discussion that was like really went like round and round was like, well, what is the story of the show? Like, do they go from being like, a kid show to then like trying to make it overly yeah. sexy and it's like mm-hmm. do we do we plot it out in a way that feels like very very distinct or is it a little bit more of a back and forth between what people think they're making versus what people are seeing and so i think we were just really trying yeah. to untangle i guess like what what they yeah. thought they were making what was being received which helps know. us shape our season yeah. like i think once we tell our kind of team story of like what the larger you know, what they're working on, what the show is, it tends mm-hmm. to make it easier to figure out where to slot in the smaller stories because they tend to be fed by that larger story. Right, and each yeah. character has their own reason for being there. Exactly. And what, what appeals to them in their own journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you, you're referring to the the show within show, episode eight. We're going to yeah. get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> we're going to be talking about that at length. I did want to talk specifically about some of the really, um, I thought, just really clever and smart things, the choices you made. And one was... Um, Obviously, it felt very timely to have something, to have a Weinstein-esque hotel room no. encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens to Ruth early on, and I was really struck by the fact that not only did it play so true to the character of Ruth and so true to the character of Debbie and allow us to gain more insight into them, which is just expertly yeah. done, I loved that it was essential to the larger story of the season, which, you know, watching that episode, oh, here's a, yeah. not movie of the week, but here's something you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Right. You found a way to make it absolutely essential to the larger story you were telling. Because it's, it started yeah. as part of the story. We actually, yeah. I think we've been honest about the fact that we'd actually outlined that episode before oh, no Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah. And, which is not to say like... Certain you know, elements definitely changed and we were emboldened to go sort of further with the episode, yeah. I think, once I things think came out. The um, idea of like a bathtub or like, yeah. you know, what's going on within, right. within the room, I think, took a little shape after yeah. the Weinstein thing. But I think, you know... We built that story kind of coming from both, like, what we wanted to happen to Ruth this season mm-hmm. and also, like, what we wanted to happen to the Ruth-Debbie friendship. So we actually kind of back-engineered it from that Ruth-Debbie fight then towards, like, what types of things could kind of split them on completely two different sides of the line and what way can Ruth's actions impact the team. We know mm-hmm. we have this larger story of the show being moved to 2 a.m. How can we kind of tie that into Ruth? Well, um, I also love that um, because every character you've you've created here is so sharply designed and considered yeah it probably comes rather naturally to you guys you know how people would react to these situations because you've built them up with such thought and care and so debbie's response um may be surprising to a 2018 audience in some ways yeah yeah it's in keeping with the with the um character that you've laid out for us thus far oh for sure i mean i think the idea of you know for us was also how do we excavate things about Ruth and Debbie's friendship without mm-hmm. like like we aren't going to use flashbacks we aren't going to also rehash everything you heard in season 1 with new language mm-hmm. you know like how can we get deeper into how these women connect and where the disconnect is and where the differences are without you know 
sort of in present tense, you know, and I think that was a big, it was a great challenge for this yeah. season. And I think, um, you know, a, like the sort of Debbie becoming a producer mm. and then, you know, Ruth having to take a back seat and her tension with Sam and then this incident with the network president and then moving into, you know, the injury, you know, just things that keep rocking them and allowing us to get underneath, you know, that friendship. Mm-hmm. Um so we sort of understand them even more by the end of the season. How do you how do you manage Debbie? Because the character is so fascinating, so brilliantly portrayed, obviously, by yeah. and, and and you can't recreate that with anyone else, I yeah. can't imagine. Um she's not a heel, but she keeps making these little turns yeah. that constantly keep the audience on their toes. Mm-hmm. Um and you give us such insight into her by we see her in the empty house with no furniture, and then we see her talk to Ruth in a way that if we hadn't seen yeah. everything else might shock or appall us. Yeah. I mean, part of the ethos of the show is that there are no heroes and villains. Like, this idea of being a heel is kind of a fictitious thing. Mm-hmm. And in real life, you know, people make decisions. People act based on, you know, sometimes a long history in a relationship or that tends to be motivated by something mm-hmm. emotional that we can understand and that we can excavate. So for us, Debbie makes sense as a woman responding not just to the incident in episode one of last year where, you know, I think rage is something that we explored a lot of season one and there's mm-hmm. more season two, but I think we wanted to explore a lot of other sides of Debbie, um, mm-hmm. such as her experiences in the industry. She has her own disappointments. She has her own ambitions that I think are coming into play with a lot of just how she behaves in season two. I think it's not just all, you know, there is a lot of anger at Ruth, but we're trying to show you that it's yeah. more than that. Well, there's such a smart track laid that for while many of the characters are you seeing Glow as a step up, yeah, she's, she's come down. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a very that's very clearly where we started her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also trying to figure out how she makes it. It's sort of like, well, if I'm going to take this step, how can I turn it into something that works for me mm-hmm. that I couldn't have somewhere else? You know, like where is where is the power? Where is my seat at the table? Like, how do I use it mm-hmm. to you know to take a bunch of steps that other people can't? You know, it's sort of the way that we tell a team story. And is Debbie part of the team? Is Debbie not part of the team? Mm-hmm. Is she working both yeah. sides? And I think another question we started with really early on when we were talking about Ruth and Debbie in the room, it was like, does Ruth deserve to be happy and should Debbie should Debbie have to watch it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like that is just a very, yeah. it feels like a very female friendship question in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it yeah. sort of would let us dig into some other storylines in a way that always made us understand why we were telling it, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of bringing in, yeah. you know, a sort of potential love interest for Ruth. We had to understand what that did to Ruth and Debbie Mm because they are still like our sort of emotional spine. um, Elizabeth, you said about female Mm -hmm. friendship and Carly, going back to what you said about there not being really heroes or villains or heels. um, I mean, and that's just another great thing about the show that you've constructed where there are Mm -hmm. heroes and heels in the ring and you can deconstruct it. Um, The idea of antagonists and antagonism in the season was fascinating for me to watch because you have something that you are embracing fully, which is this is an ensemble comedy and Mm – the hallmark of ensemble comedies is look at this family. We can't wait to spend time with them. And there's palpable joy when they're hanging out by the pool or they're together, yeah. seeing them mismatched yeah. and getting along. Yeah. But specifically through the season, I love that Melrose and Jenny don't really get along. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something that you stuck to with that where it's not life <laughs> yeah. or death. Yeah. No. There was an enema. Yeah. There was a jacket. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they may not like each other. Yep. They might love each other, but yeah. we're, it's unclear. But you stay true to the fact you, – you don't apologize for the fact that this is an, an acceptable and relatable level of antagonism in the world. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. doesn't ever go nuclear. For sure. It's there. Yeah. And uh, I appreciated yeah. that you found a way in the midst yeah. of a larger show to stay focused on that. Yeah. There's a meta thing going on with our show where, you know, our show sometimes feels like a kind of magical wonderland of female empowerment. and <laughs> Like you go to set and they're, you know – they're there for other women scenes and they're supporting each other. Um, and I think we also just wanted to make sure in our show that we're reflecting the real world where it's not, you know, the magical fairyland, but that yeah. sometimes people with different personalities can rub each other the wrong way. And yeah, it and felt, that's really funny. And that's funny. <laughs> yeah. They felt like two strong personalities that were very funny that they happened to be rooming together. Yeah. Do you have to fight the urge to just have fun with, with everybody? Because, I mean, even as an audience yeah, member, yeah. I, I find myself. I don't want this conflict. I just want to hang. Well, that's, I mean, delight. yeah. I, the thing that's super fun, we were, I remember yeah. shooting, we were shooting episode, episode nine. Well, no, oh. it was episode nine. 
It was right. Oh, the hang were there. It was like yeah. it was right before it was right before Thanksgiving. Like that episode bumped up right against yeah. Thanksgiving, and I was there with Phil Abraham, and we were shooting the last scene of the night, which was all the girls, you know, talking to Rhonda about going to the consulate. And, and this is F- Phil Abraham who used Phil to Abraham. direct The Sopranos. Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah. Phil so Abraham. He's used to family um, conflict. I mean, he's and it's amazing because Phil is like a million feet tall and one of our few male directors mm-hmm. during the season, and like a virtuoso um, shooter. Yeah. You know, shooter, and we were shooting this. You know. Bonker scene in a in a motel room where yeah. Rhonda comes in and they're just trading clothing. And there's the bong involved in the scene. That right? was the Is next that? scene. That oh, was okay. the pr- yeah. following scene. But it was just the girls talking, and then we sort of let them go at the end of the take and just mm-hmm. keep playing. And they kept playing for so long that Phil looked at me. He's like, what if we just left? Would they just keep going? And it's like, they definitely would just keep going. We yeah. should all just leave. And it was – but it, I think that yeah. is the thing where, you know, we have so much of that just naturally in our cast. Like, mm-hmm. they do – they love being around each other, and, they, and yeah. putting them in different combinations gives you different yeah. weird magic. And yeah. you know. but it's true that our show has more tension than our real life. Set, our real life, which set, is, yeah, that's amazing. Also, yeah. And, and did everyone have uh, more ownership over their characters in year two, and more knowledge of who For they sure. were, and opinions yeah. about it what they It was exciting. It was exciting yeah. every once in a while to see an actor. You know, like especially if we had a new director, where you know sometimes a piece of direction would kind of bump them. And mm-hmm. I think season one, they may not have spoken up for themselves, and there were definitely times where you'd be like. Very proud of an actor for kind of defending her character and then fully having, like, you know, like, put the dots together from last year to this yeah. year and kind of having filled in emotions that maybe we haven't explicitly told them, but they, like, mm-hmm. lined yeah. up perfectly. And I think every time, yeah. and I think it, it'll be true as we, you know, our hope is to, by the end of the series, you know all these women mm-hmm. deeply. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, this season we got to a few more people more completely. Um and somebody like Kia Stevens, who is a wrestler mm-hmm. turned actor, yeah, to watch her dig in, to watch like her her scene work, her scene mm-hmm. work develop, the way she, you know, you could just tell how much she paid attention to season one in terms mm-hmm. of the other actors, in yeah. terms of what directors were saying. Like she just yeah. sponged it up and then came back yeah. and nailed stuff in yeah. a way that you know. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I have to say, and this probably speaks to my uh, poor Googling or wikipedia yeah. but I didn't realize that Kia was yeah. the woman in your cast who was a wrestler before. Oh, yeah. Um, awesome Kong. I yeah. just thought, how did you find this wonderful actor? Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, episode four, the episode you're referring to as a motherhood. Um, yeah. Extravaganza. Extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> um, is a real showcase for her. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about that episode specifically, not just because of her performance, but because, again, in in... I don't want to say small ways, in subtle ways and in always entertaining ways, it shows your the two of your ability to zero in on difficult parts, uncomfortable parts, um, not shying away from it. Yeah. And I reached the end of that episode, mm-hmm. and I'm probably not alone in this. I sat back and thought about what had happened with the welfare queen character in front mm-hmm. of her son. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know if they answered this. or Good. If, if they. Yeah. Th- and then the next day I was still thinking about it, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. It's actually a much stronger play to admit that the two of you, a television show, you're not going to solve anything. What yeah. you can do is, I, I imagine, please speak to yeah. it, speak, you know, you can attempt to have the character speak in an emotionally true way to the character, to the other character in the scene. Yeah, yeah she's she's wearing one of the most uncomfortable stereotypes on the show, and it's something Kia's done in wrestling herself. Um, so, yeah, we were never going to ignore that, but I don't mm-hmm. think that we were going to solve the problem of racism in wrestling, because that's kind of what race like what wrestling is built on and how it works and you're uncomfortable when you see those stereotypes but also it's a kind of weirdly safe place <laughs> where you can say the stereotype it's ugly you can say it and you can look at it mm-hmm. and you can see it for what it is and there's no kind of like you know whisperings about like how someone is perceived like there's this very ugly thing and you have to confront it because you have to say the that's that you have to own it and i think yeah we we were pretty uncomfortable by it we were excited but it also felt like a completely separate piece of her identity to this other thing which is like what she's been for most of her life which is a mom to this son which Mm -hmm. is like you know she's been wearing this stereotype for a year yeah and she's been a mom for a lot longer Mm -hmm. and it felt important to kind of show that side of her life yeah and have those two things i think i think also in that episode um, you know, in a similar way, Debbie's sort of narrative and looking at sort of the idea of like a mom with a baby mm-hmm. and 
and sort of exploding her world a little bit felt really exciting at the same time. Like it's I think there were things about Debbie's story that were also hard to look at, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of like like what is motherhood? What is being a good mom? Yeah. What is being a bad mom? You mm-hmm. know, and how like, are those stereotypes how are those... outside of the ring? Yeah. yeah. And so I think we were just trying to figure out how to allow those stories to play together. And then I think the benefit of that story in sort of a larger character yeah. arc was just that we got these two wonderful characters mm-hmm. to really be in a story together that made a lot of sense, not just in the ring, but we could build stuff outside mm-hmm. the ring mm-hmm. that felt like, mm-hmm. you know, Teme and Debbie had. A, a connection that was different and deeper than other people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. working on the show. But that Debbie could also have a blind spot and not see yep. how it was hurting Teme, which was kind of like an amazing moment where you watch her kind of like have the kind of late realization of what just happened yeah. and how maybe they had planned it and it sounded funny one way and it felt very different. In just action. Inter- in yeah. action, in front of certain people. I think we... <laughs> I think there's some there's a very ugly moment in that episode, mm-hmm. and I think the fact that like we just showed it for what it is is like it makes sense in a wrestling ring theoretically, but then to play it feels very different. Mm-hmm. Um, felt important to us, and I think, yeah, I think Kia did it so beautifully that you see so many layers of what she's struggling with, but also like life goes on afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it has she's to. still yeah. yeah she's still. A mom, she's still on the show. She's still a performer. She she's still, still wants to perform. You know, it's she's like still good it's, at performing. she's still good at performing. Yeah. You know, it's. I think that's the thing that's so tricky. Yeah. The tri- I think the trick of that episode yeah. is how great that match is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and we really yeah. talked about it like that. I think that is. Yeah. That is the longest match we ever mm-hmm. shot, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was a full day of shooting. Yeah. And, you know, to get all those beats, to get all of that yeah. wrestling, that wrestling is like intense. Yeah. In mm-hmm. terms of the stuff that they're doing physically. Um, it was emotional just watching them yeah. do that match. Yeah, and um, in terms of Debbie's motherhood, I, I when I was a full time critic, I would often talk about children, or especially newborn children, on TV shows mm-hmm. as great unforced errors of TV mm-hmm. shows because everyone wants the drama of pregnancy and childbirth, but they yeah. don't want to deal with a child. Yeah, and this is my third show now with baby actors on it, and I'm like, well, right, but I I love that you will not. Ignore this because she is making choices every time she does anything, which yeah. many of us are. Liz in life. likes to joke yeah. that since I had a kid, I'm like highly attuned to certain things. Like the baby had an eight o'clock, eight p.m. call time, and, and I just, was outraged. I was having, and I was, I was like, having a breakdown. I was like, "Where the fuck was this energy last season?" <laughs> but he when was no one, had a, no one had kids but me. Because but he's right there. It's like he's fine. These kids are all disasters when it comes to bedtime. We're okay. He's getting paid. I'm still going on record cool. saying we shouldn't have hired a baby for this, eight p.m. acting. This is this is this is first kid second kid energy though I have exactly. to say uh, I yes. think when it's we last spoke hundred percent when we last spoke very, I was you Carly yeah. and now I yeah. am you Liz and yeah, I'm like yeah. they're fine they're yeah, gonna they're go fine. to bed what are they not gonna sleep it's yeah. fine it's we're the ones suffering yeah. who cares exactly <laughs> it's incredible learning that, learning a lot at this yep. table that yep. tracks yep it um, does. Uh, speaking of um, the ensemble, I, I wondered if it was delicate in any way um, behind the scenes bringing in a new member of the family because you have the new, I don't want to say improved, you have a new junk chain oh, yeah. <laughs> season yeah. two. Adding to an already swelling cast was a decision. It was like the literal opposite. I mean, yeah, like, we were shocked. We were, it was like we were, we had, and I think we, like anything, we take care in casting people who feel mm-hmm. like they are. Yeah. We weren't trying to cast somebody who was going to blow up the group. Mm-hmm. We wanted somebody who ultimately we were telling the story of she got sucked into the group. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, Shakira has lovely energy and was great. And the girls just all sort of swarmed her and brought her into wrestling training. And it was, and Sidel Noel, who plays Cherry, um, was so welcoming and so amazing and like took her as her date to the was, SAG Awards. It was like it's the, the exact it's opposite the exact, of It's the like the babysitter's and, club yeah. on set. And then we do all the other stuff <laughs> yeah. that we do. But... I think we were going to check in with Allie to see how Shakira's fitting in if we needed to kind of mm-hmm. welcome her more. And it was just, we love Shakira. Yeah. Well, she was great. Really, she's yeah. a great addition. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a, it's nice to hear that because I would say to, to learn that's happening yeah. behind the scenes because yeah. purely as an audience member, I feel yeah. that you two and yeah. the rest of your staff are doing that for these characters. I was yeah. thinking about how much I care about Cherry and Keith. Yep. Yeah. I care about them. I'm emotionally I invested do. in it. We Every have, time Keith is on screen, I'm like, what's he, what's he thinking about? How's, he's having such a good time this week. Bashir is such magic. But, but it, it is. Yeah. And their but, marriage is something, I think, just because yeah. I feel like we don't get to have, there aren't a lot of marriages on the show. So yeah. I think But I love that we you can look one. at the, I feel like there's a way to look at this. However many cast yeah. members you have, mm-hmm. storylines, relationships. Yeah. 
you could think when the feeling could be we're being overwhelmed with information yeah. or you could say, oh, there was a moment for them here. Yeah. And there were moments that we didn't see prior yeah. to this and moments we don't see afterwards. And yeah. you pick your spots. Yeah. I mean, our number one priority is to make you care. <laughs> then comes yeah. plot. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to use the plot to do that. Straight up. But, but yeah. Yeah. We, well, I think that's the type of storytelling we care about. And two, two more actors that I care yeah. about and mm-hmm. characters I care about specifically. Um, I wanted to talk about um, – Marin in year two. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about him a lot last year and what a totally wonderful surprise he was. Yeah. Um, this year, oh, also, I just want to say congratulations on finally adding someone else to the Italian, but come on, he's really Jewish Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. George Costanza was lonely there for a while, and now Sam Sylvia <laughs> yep. joins him. Mark, yeah, yep. Mark is very like, oh, he's really Italian? It's yeah. like, we're like, yeah, man. Th- yeah. This year, when, he's, when he says <laughs> yeah. it, I'm like, okay, okay. come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it. But, but there's a, a there's, there's Jewish Italian overlap and sure. like a cultural There's a big way. city vibe. There's yeah. a hand talking kind of thing. Yeah. Um, no, I'm a fan of that. Um, <laughs> but again, the, he, I, I looked at him as someone who, you know, he's, he's, he's more of a mess in season one. Obviously, he's doing a lot more drugs, or at least we see him doing more mm-hmm. drugs. And it was great to see that you could still use him as a as an engine for for conflict or for being demanding or unreasonable or so emotionally naked that yeah. you just can't turn away. Well, also acknowledging how lovable he is in this part. I yeah. feel like that was a that's the kind of balancing act for writers that isn't often acknowledged. We love being with him and you didn't run from that. Yeah. How, how did you approach him in year two, knowing I mean, what you had? I think we just had, I mean, we had, I felt like we had great stuff sort of teed up for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was somebody who was going to have to, in the beginning of season two, make 20 episodes of a wrestling show with all women mm-hmm. that he had, and he had never sort of had a real, like, it's like a guy who never had a real show up for work every day and knock mm-hmm. these things out kind of a job. And then he also had to be a parent to a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. So just like what was going to hit him was rich, was yeah. really rich. We were also never not going to write for yeah his character. I don't think it was ever like, this is a show about 14 women and oh, Mark is surprisingly talented. Let's start writing for his character. I think, you know, he's as much a misfit on this team as anyone else and kind of digging into both like his disappointments, why he's here, what he's getting from it, what he's learning from these girls felt very important to us. How do you feel about this potential romance that that you tease and you walk away from with him and Ruth? I, 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 as I'll just let you, I I think you made the right decisions in season two. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just curious from a, writer perspective how you intended that to play i mean there are a couple things right i think a we're responding to a thing that feels like it's it's in front of it's happening on the camera you mm-hmm. know in front of you um you put them in a car together something's you put going the, on. yeah it's like i think you just there are certain actors you just put together and you're like there's something mm-hmm. underneath this and whether like where you walk up to them where you go with that is the fun of it too like like they are not the will they won't they um, Debbie and Ruth are the will they won't they mm-hmm. and I feel like that doesn't change, change. Um, but I think there's something to this idea that when you work with people or you get like ripped open in a way that you don't expect and then you're you know for the first time I think a character who is you know season one especially like a misogynist who makes bad decisions mm-hmm. surrounded by women and then having to work with somebody who he sees value in like how does and that's going to do something to him and whether and like right. he's going to respond like a human person and like that's not it's not a manipulative like romantic plot line it's like this happens and then what does that what sort of what does that cause in somebody else also you know? his wiring is old fashioned he's never respected a woman as a peer in the workplace no i yeah. don't think this is a guy with female friends right. you know so it's like what do you do when you feel you know intimacy or connection mm-hmm. with somebody and that person's not a dude for the, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and you're actually yeah. working together. I feel like that's, it's it's very. It's messy. It's messy. Yeah. It's complicated. It's interesting. It's human. And I think that's the thing that's really, really yeah. interesting, you know, yeah. and that we talk about. Yeah. And I think we've seen this in theater and it happens in this mm-hmm. industry, too. I think it's just, they're very, like, the lines are very loose and it's very messy when you're performing and when you're not performing when your heart is open Mm -hmm. how to shut it back down when the show is done i think there's something like particularly interesting just in kind of the showbiz storytelling world about kind of where the lines are how you understand where the lines are how you understand real emotion versus play yeah yeah i think it's confusing in a a very interesting way not 
to give the impression that I am shipping one way or another. Mm-hmm. This is a very is a, sober okay, can podcast. I, just say, I am not. I got to say, though, shipping was something I didn't even yeah. know existed. Oh, and yeah. Marquita Robinson, one of our writers, was talking two. about it. And I was like, what? What's sh- yeah, it's a thing. I mean, we, we had, had to learn had no it in the writer's room. Yeah, it was it was like grandmas had to learn what shipping was no, I mean, at we the live top in, of season two. I was like, why wouldn't you just like, say they like each other? Like, you're rooting for them to get together. <laughs> I mean, this was legit, the conversation. Why do you have What does a ship have to do with that? That doesn't like, fit in a tweet? Come yeah. on. Nope. I mean, we, we're living in a world where New York what Magazine would be like— about this hard somebody? There's just a lot of right. ways I would have done it other Plus, than the word ship. Yeah. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, New York Magazine will literally do headlines like, squee. You know, we want them to be—I'm like— Let's let's just let's all just, be yeah. let's be sober adults <laughs> yeah. about our fictional characters falling in love or not. I'm gonna admit that I, I don't have Twitter, so this is all yeah, this, all news. Lingo Another very, great decision yeah. made yep. by Carly. It's <laughs> <true>. revealed today. <laughs> um, just have to wonder though, do you think Sam Sylvia would have better luck with Ruth? Were he to let the beard part grow out just a hair behind the mustache no, part? Because that's no, clearly no. something Ruth appreciates. And as someone who lived in the 80s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Look, was We're going to leave mean, this yeah, hypothesis yeah. on the table, but say we we're a fan of Sam with instead? that level of yeah. facial hair. We've yeah. seen it bigger. Yeah. yeah, He becomes a bit more Mark Maron and less Sam yeah. Sylvia, the yeah. bigger his beard gets. I, so we're very careful to keep him I just love Sam. that he found a guy who looked like every camp counselor I had yeah. in the 80s. To play he wears Ruth's a lot of shirts that were like Victor. Yeah. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, he is. That is just chef's kiss emoji. That is. It is perfect. We agree. I mean, he looks like he was just plucked out of an 80s movie. And it is just Victor's look, but I also think Beth Morgan helped a yeah. lot. She's like, I think he's like sweatshirts. You know, like like sweatshirts and jeans. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. She's like, yeah. you know, but like all the time, sweatshirts and jeans. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, yep, yep, that sounds right. That's right. Victor, to say, is a writer that Liz knew. I mean, he yeah. writes on Big Mouth. He has, he's a no writer-director. Yeah, he's, he's made a bunch of movies. Yeah. I think performer is kind of the last on his list of. Yeah, he was when he when we brought him into audition. He's like, "This is hilarious, guys! Like, what what am I doing today? Reading the scene with Allison Brie? We're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Incredible. <laughs> He's great because yeah. yeah. um, we wanted a real per. Like, I think that was the other thing. Like, we didn't want. Uh, well, a and I think Victor yeah. is adorable, but we yeah. didn't want like a supermodel model actor to swan in and be the yeah. camera guy. And you're yeah. like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, he feels like. A real person. A real yes, person. We're very allergic yeah. to both kind of <laughs> fake romantic tales and then also just mm-hmm. this idea of what people are supposed to look like. And I think our show tries to very accurately, accurately represent, like, real people. But I think yeah. that becomes trickier when you're casting a, quote, kind of romantic lead. And yeah. you're like, no, no, he's just a, he's a camera guy. Yeah. Yeah. He should look like a camera he's, guy. He's just he a shouldn't guy. look yeah. like the person who will eventually kiss Allison Brie, he should right. look like the camera, camera guy. guy. Who will also, who will also yeah. eventually kiss Allison Brie. But, maybe, but, yeah. it's like, but, we don't but maybe it should be because, be because of like who he is. Well, this is some radical stuff it you're is. pitching on this podcast. You know, I mean, I think does it Netflix was, know about this? They do. This does seem awful. They do. Wow. But it was like, you know, you wanted, a, you wanted like a guy, a real guy. He's just a guy. A real nice guy. He went out for tacos. Yeah. He's yep. just a guy. Yeah. Um, I saw him this morning jogging on my street. <laughs> this is well, ripped from real life. Ripped from real life. <laughs> um, I also want to talk about Chris Lowell, who plays uh, Bash, um, on two levels. One, the performance, but also he is – I know that the rules of, like, who's in the cast, who's not, are mm-hmm. arcane, and I'm not yeah. going to ask you to define them for the audience now. Yeah, he sure, is sure. technically a guest star on the show. <laughs> yep. Um, can you talk why this particular guest star is so essential to what you've got and what you're planning on doing with the show as a whole? Because his his role, his his yeah. storyline in this season was um, surprising and really, really um, compelling. Yeah. His title is like technicality based yeah. on the I fact figure. that he was yeah. on another show. And we couldn't own we couldn't, him. We couldn't. <laughs> um, but from the beginning, even in our pitch for to Netflix, I think we knew that the guy who owned the league and who was paying for it would be kind of one of our main our main people. And yeah. we knew we had a lot more layers for him that season one we didn't really have time to get to, but we hinted at with some kind of glitter yeah. eyeshadow was our And we knew he could do it. Like as an actor, yeah. like Chris yeah. has like a remarkable amount. Like he's incredible yeah. comic timing. He's so, like he's so nimble as a performer. Um he like He's so he's so, like he and Allie are so precise. Mm-hmm. Specific, like I think that's something I think they really share. I think they're, they're very precise, different performers, yeah. but they are like precision yeah. machines in terms of like mm-hmm. and what they hit and when they hit it and how they do it. Um, I love that. And he's also them. someone. And again, because we have such a large cast, we kind of leaned into different people. Season one, but I think he was the person who most was kind of most dangerously verging on caricature if we didn't start to show you the other layers that because we had intended. Yeah, he owns a robot. He has a robot. He has a helicopter. You know. You yeah. know, I don't think when he got the script for episode three last year and we told him all of these layers and then we're like, no, but really you're just like a rich playboy <laughs> in a mansion that's throwing a drug party. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think like kudos to Chris for trusting us when we I think we revealed the full our full intentions for Bash when we originally cast him and then kind of sneaking them into right. his yeah. performance in season one. I think there are things that he does just in terms of like where his hands are in any scene. Yeah. Um, who he's touching, what he's touching, how yeah. he's pretending to smoke, how he's trying yeah. to imitate Sam. I think there's a lot going on season one, but then we had a lot more room season two to to start showing you. I, I do yeah. want to, um, the way you, the both of you speak about the show and how you're building it um, yeah. is particularly interesting to me because you are talking about building things slowly and gradually. And, talking about how season two will of course build on what season one laid for you there's something that i've heard often in tv obviously i think these are older thoughts from when tv was structured differently and seasons Mm -hmm. were ordered differently but that you can't leave anything on the on the board you cannot leave anything you got to give everything when you have a chance because who knows when you'll have the chance to do it which we've been taught by the way like we we were breaking our own rule i think even jenji was kind of like Guys, we might not get you leave nothing on the table. And I think we just, I mean, first we just kind of took a blind leap, but we also mm-hmm. knew that there was so much storytelling, slow storytelling mm-hmm. to be done, both because you could never kind of, once they learned how to wrestle, you could never go back. And that's such delicious storytelling that it felt kind of like a waste to shove it into two episodes mm-hmm. and then kind of speed along. And too, because we have so many characters to set yeah. everybody up, we knew the journey would be so much richer, would be so much just. We would just have so much more if we had a better foundation, and we kind of just took that. Yeah, we took that risk, of kind of breaking but everything we've it, learned it, in TV in yeah. terms of where it's of, risky, but it results yeah. in a second season. I mean, second seasons are always yeah. red flags, and people are concerned yeah. about them because all the story's been built, and now you have to do everything you just yeah. did, but faster, right? And, you yeah, know, again, yeah, um, yeah. But you you confounded that expectation because you had such a steady base and more to add to it. I think that's true. I mean, I think it. I mean, we definitely. Everything we wanted to put yeah. in season two is in season two. Yeah. Season two is full. It's yeah. very full. Um, there are a couple of things we didn't get in there, and I but feel like that's, yeah. but I, we left was, nothing on the, yeah. On I the mean, for that. as we were breaking that finale, yeah. we were just going, we were like, what, ha- what do we have to do? Yeah. What do, and also just but, what do we want yeah. to? Yeah. Just going back to season one, like, I yeah. also think, like, we knew we were taking on this this sport that a lot of people had very specific reactions, mm-hmm. often revulsions when they heard or just kind of like, I don't want to watch. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And they're probably that, that, still, me. yeah. And I think they're probably that's still people who haven't yeah. watched the show who are like, I mean, I'm not really into wrestling, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, which is why we're like, if we're going to kind of deconstruct this sport, if we're going to like teach it to everybody and start from scratch, mm-hmm. like say you don't understand any of it mm-hmm. and kind of get everyone on board for this larger thing we're doing is like, yes, there's wrestling, but like, we're going to get you inside of it. We're going to show it differently. We're going to kind of, use it differently than you might expect. And I think a lot of season one did that in addition to just a lot of character work and a lot of, um, I think we kind of got people on board with wrestling. I think it's absolutely true. Um, I, I, a couple more things to get Mm -hmm. through that I can't not speak about. One is I know that we could do a whole podcast just about Alison Brie. I'm sure people have asked you to do that. Just we'd to be, say, we'd be happy to. Just, just, to say. Ju- just to say again, I think yeah. her performance on the show is one of, if not the best performance on television. Oh, I think it I is agree. astonishing I, in she's... every moment. Specifically, what I wanted to talk about with her, which I was just watching this year, is mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, first of all, I don't know how she does any of it. But yeah. specifically, I don't know how she can give us a character who is emotionally alive and vibrating, honestly, in every moment, playing comedy and drama at the same time, but also radiating with joy about being there. Um, which is infectious and increases the enjoyment of the show exponentially because she's having so, she's clearly having fun when she's Zoya, which is awesome because yeah. theater people love to do mm-hmm. accents. We know that. But every scene, she just seems to be thrilled to be there. And I, I don't even have a question. I just am I'm, – I marvel at it. I feel like she she's, – She's like that every day. She is. She's a, she's a miracle. Scene. She's yeah. like a total miracle. She's such a team captain. She also just has that thing where I feel like – I mean, it's sort of – it's the meta reality of like Allie and Ruth, where it's like once Ruth got Zoya, it was like the it like unlocked mm-hmm. the magical you know Pandora's box of performance. It was, <laughs> it was, I think that's sort of the story in season one, and I feel like in season two it was about getting her back into the ring after her fallout with Sam. And I think mm-hmm. you know when it's a story about an actress who hasn't worked for a long time and finally gets a shot. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, the foundation of that character. It's like, I think the thing we always think about is, like, there were 10 years where Ruth couldn't get hired. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, a desperation to that. There's a sadness to that. There's a hunger that comes from, like, when you finally get the job. And I don't know. Like, she really holds on to that in a way that is so amazing. 
And I think that's the joy, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the, I get to go to work. Mm-hmm. Is and, and finally take the cork out. And yeah. it's just finally. Completely. As that I think character. it's because on the surface, you, Allie, and I think we are open about having judged her in this way. Like, I think, you know, she's worked on some amazing shows. She she has been working. Mm-hmm. But she also has been put in a box. I think she's also been underestimated, including by us, when she first auditioned for the part. And we thought of her in one way. And she, I think she has so much more to offer. And we're, like, I think we're giving her that chance and also listening to what she wants to do because I think she's held back so much that it's like there's a joy to, yeah, as Liz said, finally getting to use those tools and kind of play and share. And do all of it. Do all of it. Yeah, we're never saying no to her. If she has an idea, we want to hear it. If there's a new side of her we can show, we want to show it. If there's a new, you know, she has a lot of skills beyond physical skills. I think she's telling stories with her body and no in a both dramatic and comic way that's phenomenal. She's... I mean, one of the things I love watching the most, actually, (laughs) is when she, after episode, I mean, six into seven, six and seven for me is like, Mm -hmm. is, I I love watching her performance. I love watching how, you know, how small she feels holding on to that, you know, the secret about Tom Grant Mm -hmm. and how, you know, she comes back sort of alive you know, after that conversation with Sam, and then she's in the ring with Debbie finally again, and mm. you see Allie as Ruth starting to get thrown by Debbie's mm. behavior in the ring and those little flashes and like what, how she gets thrown. I don't know. It's just like, it's such a beautiful, it's so beautifully calibrated. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so specific and never too much. And you know, I think, and I think we have a bunch of actors who do that. But I watched that arc, and it is, and I mean, we. She's so precise. She's, she's so precise, so smart and it's so beautiful. It. And yeah. I feel like it's it's why it gives us the freedom, also, to when you finally walk them out of that hospital, to feel like you're like, yeah, let's go. But but also, it, there's this beautiful moment that you constructed, the two of you, that the energy that is her performance, it feels like it's. Um, leeching into everyone else now and you know mm-hmm. we're going to speak about eight now but yeah. the end of seven i believe is when everyone comes in to cheer her up in the hospital yeah it's, it's the it's, middle yeah it's like the middle of seven no, the, but it's sorry, yeah, yeah, seven. seven yeah in the hospital that is as much that that was as much fun for me as eight because mm-hmm. you can suddenly tell how everyone's playing yeah everyone got a turn yeah and that must be such a joy onset and offset as well yep. and it that flows from i think from i can't call her ali i've never met her yeah. so Al- allison's sorry. performance mm-hmm. um into eight. And so you finally get this chance to have these people play. You finally get a chance to, in your room, yeah. play. You could do anything, right? How much fun was it? And then how how uh, awful was it to have to start snipping ideas, if that's the case? We didn't snip as many <laughs> ideas as you'd think. It's yeah. an overpacked episode. Yeah. Um, I think we knew we were going to get one chance to do this, so we were going to, sh- you know, jam it with every idea we had. But we also yeah. weren't going to kind of just throw in sketches for the sake of funny sketches. Right. We like very purposely built our season so that we were setting up stories that we could either further in the show or build, you know, build forward from there. Mm-hmm. And we started with just what would say this group of women was sitting down to make a show together. What would each one of them pitch? What would each one of them what want? Would they, what their... would they petition Sam yeah. for? Like what would he right. yeah. and how would they do it? Who would let them do it? Would you know were there ideas that didn't make it? Was there, you know, Melrose is obviously going to want to do a music video. Yeah. Sheila's, if you speak to Gail, she's very much responding to the Tom Grant situation with Ruth in her sketch with a goat, even though it's one of my favorite stupid, silly (laughs) sketches of the whole episode. It's really good. Um, Who was operating the hooves in that? Oh, that was Nick Jones. One of the writer of the episode. Oh, he's a puppeteer as well. I heard heard you guys when he was talking to uh, Mark last year. Yeah, and we had a moment where, I mean, it was the the other thing about that episode that was both in the breaking of it and then in the writing of it and then in the conceptualizing it and then the shooting of it was we are not trying to comment but it needs to be a certain level of jank it has to be a certain level but like just the right level because if you push if it's too far if you push it too far you're make you're putting too fine a point on it and the hooves were actually a thing because our props department (laughs) is a world is a world-class props department Uh and so like so here are the goat hooves i'm like those look very realistic we need fur and duct tape. You need to take it down. So we, yeah, take it we down had to notch. take down a lot of things. Yeah, there are a bunch of yeah. things. I'm like, this is beautiful. We need to yeah. scrape away these two panels from mm-hmm. the 
the outside of the Castle. evil fortress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we walked in, it was like me and you it and Nick an and amazing. Rachel. It was an amazing thing. We're like, too good. I'm like, just let's just move these panels. Yeah. And we looked at it, and then you saw the sort of you saw the rock wall in Melrose and Jenny's room because yeah. you also we wanted to, to know feel where they were. You know where they are. How they made it. Yeah. 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 I think the for me the the most underappreciated moment <laughs> is when they're doing the music video, the We Are the World video, and um, uh, Sam and Bass show up as the kidnappers. Mm-hmm. Never commented on. No. Nope. Never explained. And the kidnapper herself, Ruth is. Oh, that's because right. Like, she's right. There's that's right. no that's way she wouldn't be in that. See, it's even. Yeah. I didn't even appreciate yeah. it. But, yeah. but I, I said this before about almost in jest that you know, theater people like actors love to do accents. They love to add mm-hmm. on these layers yeah. and play dress up. But you were both from the theater. You're both playwrights. And, yeah. and I say this as a former theater kid myself that there's so much fun in putting on a show and playing. Oh my god! And that's, the opportunity to do it. I mean, that's why everyone gets into this, right? Well, and this episode what, is this joyful. I think wrestling has it, and yeah. we're kind of acknowledging it in other right. ways and finding ways for them to let it out. But I think it's part of the the groundwell of our show in terms of like where the joy comes from like I think that's why everyone even though none of these actresses wanted to be on a wrestling show intended to be in wrestling right. maybe never even heard of wrestling or kind of finding this weird outlet to you know put on a show yeah let me end with um, a statement of gratitude and a question mm-hmm. forward looking question the statement of gratitude is thank you both of you for acknowledging the masterpiece of my childhood Muppets Take Manhattan <laughs> Um, no that problem. It's my number one <laughs> homesick movie because it was always on TV. Mm-hmm. I've seen it more than maybe other any movie ever, and uh, introduced my older child to it. Still plays. The fact that that you did the whisper campaign from Sardis <laughs> in a television show means I feel seen. You know, I really appreciate that. I mean, we are in our own way making our own version of a Muppet show. Like, like yeah. they're Muppets in many instances, and like just finally admitting it. Yeah, we're just finally <laughs> putting. <laughs> putting the English on the ball no that's a spin I feel like there's it's you know it felt very it felt very clear to us <laughs> that that would be something we need to it, reference tremendous clearly. tremendous even in the way the woman who finds the tape in the bathroom <laughs> reacts to it I mean I think I, I can I'm not going well, maybe mm-hmm, I will but mm-hmm. when they're doing the whisper campaign uh-huh. for Manhattan Melodies in Sardis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The actors or the extras who are in Sardis saying, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, oh Kermit the Frog." Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my. No, I mean, at some point editing, we were just looking at, we we're like, "Oh, we got to watch out with these reaction shots because <laughs> it looks like the entire convention is sold by this." <laughs> they are. One, I mean, this, this one, one phone, phone like, thing yeah. ever. every single person is turning their head and like, "Wait a minute, what did you say?" Even though he's four hundred feet across the room, it's it's <laughs> terrific. Um, finally, Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Um, what what are you excited about? I, I I believe about going there for what does that do for your storytelling? Um, because again, it it makes sense for the show. Yep. You've done yep. everything for a pilot, everything but why for a season. Would we want to go to Vegas? Yeah. Well, no, I maybe that was the question from my heart. No, I mean for the for the story for where for you guys are going, those. we we don't have any official news of a third season. We, we do not, but we are hopeful. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> Vegas. In, in just talking about me and Carly, like Vegas is a place that makes us super uncomfortable. Yeah, I felt like we could all relate. Yeah, on that yeah. One. yeah. As like I am, Liz has rebelled against Vegas by once yeah. reading once a book. Went, and yeah, I, I once went there for and was left there alone for like a whole day and got so depressed that I was like at one point walking through a casino crying and then I just found a lounge and <laughs> You're not the first found to do an that, apple by the way. and <laughs> read a book for like yeah. four hours. I, I hope so, it was like so, yeah. Thomas Paine or something. It was, something. No, I don't even know what I cannot even remember what it yeah. was, but it was just I just I was like, get me yeah. out of here. And our decision took that into consideration and in fact is built on them. I think like we te- mm-hmm. like we we originally, you know, got excited about this show because it made us uncomfortable. The idea of women in bathing suits, you know, performing for a majority audience of men was deeply unsettling to us. And, you know, I think we've gone two seasons now and it started to not feel as uncomfortable. It's starting to feel kind of like, oh, it's normal that everyone walks around with no yeah. pants. Like that's just the world mm-hmm. we're in. But for us, it felt important to keep jarring ourselves and keep going places that made us deeply uncomfortable. And there's nothing more, nothing <laughs> more uncomfortable to us than Vegas. And I think especially yeah. for women, especially for women in the 80s, mm-hmm. especially for just performer, desperate performers. It felt like a very ripe and like mm-hmm. a kind of like hair tingling place to send them. And yet, the exciting thing with the show is that like the idea of live performance versus a taped television show the idea of like you know being in vegas as all these big showgirl shows are like just slowly dying it's yeah. you know you know pre-steve win coming in kind of a thing it's like what is that what does that look like with our cast our what does cast. that look like with our 
people. It's like it's, and I think also um, in the sort of Kohan tradition of like, there's always more road. There's more mm-hmm. story. You keep know, pushing, keep right? pushing. Yeah, don't get complacent in a yeah. place. Like we shoved every be idea. Sc- we had. Be scared yeah. mm-hmm. as you walk into a new season. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's good. It's I think it's really good for us to not. Yeah, I think we're stay in LA. Well, thank you for giving such a great example of fearlessness on the screen and oh, also just thanks. a model of um, female relationship drama and comedy and how the two can't exist without the other. But also just that the show, to me, is it's so smart and it's so emotionally affecting, but it's so entertaining. And I think that, I, I, I said this all the time as a critic, I say it all the time now, that shouldn't be such a hard <laughs> point to geolocate, that TV should be entertaining, the art we make, should there should be joy in it. Yeah. But you can also... Yeah, say things, a, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a remarkable, okay. remarkable example of, of of when that's done successfully. Thanks. Um, but also, thank you for doing my podcast. <laughs> We're happy to really be back. appreciate it. And if and when, well, let's just say when when season three happens. That's all. Um, knock on if some. and when we will be. I hope you'll come delighted back. Delighted to come back if you're not too busy with your show on yeah. USA. Oh well, I'll go on your podcast. Okay, great. That's 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 how we do it, right? Well, now we've I, got to make a podcast. I know. I was like, I, oh, God. I wasn't on our list. <laughs> That's a little downtime. Right? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>